Um, okay, so today we're going to be talking about uh, Palm Sunday. Today is historically Palm Sunday, the day we remember Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem and uh, the beginning of the Passion Week. And uh, we're going to be looking at a passage in Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. And this passage takes place uh, actually right before Jesus enters into Jerusalem. So it leads right up to Palm Sunday, and the triumphal entry, and it is very much connected to it as well. So we're going to read this first, and then I'm going to summarize this a little bit here. It says, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable, he being Jesus, because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas. Now, one mina is about three months worth of wages. So let's call it, if you make 100 grand, like, uh, you know, let's call it 25,000, depending on you know, we're in Silicon Valley, right? Let's just, so 100,000, let's say three months is, is 25,000 or, or 10,000 or whatever it is in, in your field of work. And he said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. So this 25 grand became 250,000. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. I tell you that to every I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Now, it's really an uh, interesting story here. Uh, so what's, what's going on? Uh, so there is this nobleman who is uh, going to a faraway land 
in order to be recognized as king in his own land. And as he goes away to this place, before he leaves, he gathers 10 of his servants and he says, here is a a sum of money. It is a, a significant amount of money. It's not you know, an astronomical amount, but it's a significant amount of money. And he says to go and to invest this, to to do something with this, work with this while I'm gone. Make me a return. Um, As he goes away, uh, this group of citizens from the place where he is leading and ruling actually sends a delegation to trail him and to get to this faraway place and to petition the, the emperor or whoever the king is there to not let this nobleman become the official king of the land because they hate this guy. They don't like him. Um, this nobleman gets the kingdom anyway. He gets recognized as the ruler of his local area. He comes back and then he comes to call his servants to account to see what they've done with the money that he has given them. And then the citizens that he he finds that betrayed him and that didn't want him to be ruler, he exacts judgment upon them. So that's what's happening in this story. Remember, this is a parable. This is a story that Jesus was telling to the crowds around him. They were in the Jericho area as they were approaching Jerusalem, about to enter into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Now, let me say two things about parables when Jesus told a story, a parable. The first thing is that parables are relatable. Parables are relatable. They, They are told in a way where the people listening to them get it. They, they can relate to the examples that are being used. So when you hear Jesus tell parables, he would often use examples that they would find in their everyday life. So he would use examples about farming, uh, tons of examples about farming and, and vineyards. Um, he, he gave examples from fishing. Uh, he, he talked about the sower and the seed. He used all these different examples in this agrarian culture that that people would be able to understand and relate to. And this parable is no different. When people heard Jesus tell this parable, they immediately understood what he was talking about. Keep in mind that they were um, near Jericho is where they were at this point when he tells this parable. And when he told it, people would immediately realize and understand this because the historical context of this was that Rome was in charge. So the Roman Empire was huge, a massive kingdom, stretching from Europe deep into the Middle East. It was a huge, powerful empire. And the Jews did not rule Israel um, completely and independently. They they didn't rule at all. In fact, uh, there were puppet rulers set up by Rome. and, And recently, there was Herod the Great, who was not a Jew. He himself was an Idumean, so he was not a Jew, but he was established as the ruler there by Rome. Now, Herod had three sons, and when Herod died, he he left the, the Israel area kingdom to his three sons. He broke it into three pieces, and he gave one piece to each son. Now, the one, uh, one of those sons was Archelaus, and Archelaus was really well known to the people following Jesus because they were right by Jericho and Archelaus built a palace in Jericho. So everybody knew Archelaus. And when Archelaus, uh, what he had to do is even though his dad said, I'm leaving my kingdom to you, one third of it to you, it it wasn't official unless Rome said it was official. 
So what Archelaus had to do was he had to travel to a faraway country. (laughs) He had to go to Rome. And he had to petition Caesar and say, Caesar, please, uh, would you let me be king of this area in place of my father? Would you recognize it? Would you authorize it? So he went to Rome to do this. Now, the people of, of Israel, the Jews, they hated Archelaus. And they had good reason to, because as soon as Herod died and Archelaus took power, not officially, but he still took power, one of the first things he did was on the first Passover that came, he slaughtered 3,000 Jews. He killed 3,000 people. And, and this was a time where people were, you know, they did stuff like this, right? They were ruling by fear. He was much more Machiavellian, right? He, he wasn't trying to be loved. He wanted to be feared. And he was terrorizing the, the civilian population to get them in line. And so the Jews hated him. They hated him for this. So they actually sent a delegation trailing Archelaus to Rome. And when Archelaus was in Rome saying, please let me be king, this other delegation came to Caesar and said, not this guy, (laughs) not him. We hate him. Don't let him become our king. So Caesar, being a very savvy political dude, they were were really savvy, right? You don't become emperor and have this huge empire without being pretty smart. And so not only did they place local kings in charge of their, their empire, But so Caesar was like, okay, he's trying to make everybody happy. So he says to Archelaus, you can't be king. You got to earn it because of what these people are saying. We're going to make you something called an ethnarch. Okay, so it's basically he was king. He just didn't have the title. So he got the power. He did. But Caesar was trying to make everybody happy, so he didn't give him the title, right? So he, some, it's like how some of you feel, right? You, you're doing the work at work, but you didn't get the title yet, right? You're like, come on, man. So Archelaus goes back to Jerusalem, to Jericho, to Jerusalem, and he is really, really angry. Angry at being embarrassed in front of Caesar by this other delegation. But because he had the power, he took revenge upon his enemies. So this just happened. So when Jesus told this parable, the people completely understood what he was talking about. This parable related to their everyday life and was taken out of their cultural milieu and the people understood. Now, the second thing about parables is that they're very personal. When Jesus told his parables, generally speaking, we're in the parable. We're characters in the parable. It just depends on who. And in this parable that Jesus told, everybody in this world is in this parable. And you can be broken down into three different categories, three different people here. Now, you can't be the nobleman because the nobleman's Jesus, right? That much is obvious, right? You can't be the nobleman. There are three different people. And I like the way John MacArthur broke it down here. He said that you're either, now he came up, he got the alliteration going well. He said, you're either the faithful or the false or the foes, the faithful, the false, or the foes. Now, what does that mean? You're either a faithful servant who took the mina and invested it and really worked hard with it, or you're a false servant. You look like you were a servant of this nobleman, but you didn't do squat. You didn't do anything with your mina. And that, or you are a foe. You are a citizen who hated Um, uh, the things uh, of this nobleman and didn't want him to rule over them, 
Um, and, and that is like us, the people of this world, who rebel against the rule of God. You're either the faithful, the false, or a foe. Everyone in this world is in this parable. You're one of these three. Now, so Jesus told this parable because of Palm Sunday, because he was about to enter into Jerusalem. Now, if we go back here and we look at the passage again, look at what it says here. Remember, he told this parable, why? Because he was near to Jerusalem, right? Palm Sunday, entering in triumphantly. And because they supposed the people, the people, the crowds, they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. They thought that Jesus was going to come and the kingdom of God was finally going to come right here, right now, which is a mistake, which is wrong. Now, let me illustrate this by a diagram here. This diagram is how the people were thinking wrongly. And they all were thinking wrongly. Even his disciples were thinking this. They were all thinking this. What they were thinking was that here we are living in this present age where life is difficult. Life is really broken. Look at us being oppressed by the Roman Empire. Man, we are suffering. Look at what Archelaus did to our people. We need to be delivered. We need a Messiah. We need the, the Messiah that the Bible, the Old Testament has been talking about to come and to, to liberate us and to bring us salvation. And they were looking at Jesus and the miracles that he did. And now he's approaching Jerusalem with this triumphal entry. And they're saying, he's, he's about to enter in and now he's going to take the throne and he's going to do this thing. He's going to become king and then he's going to raise up an army and he's going to go fight Rome and fireballs are going to come out of his eyes and we're going to win and then Israel is going to be the preeminent nation in all the earth and, and all the Gentile nations will come and bow down to Israel and, and Jesus is going to rule as the king, the son of David and the kingdom of God will be ushered in. The kingdom of God, heaven on earth, Israel reigning, the Gentiles bowing down, no more being oppressed and, and, and being slaughtered and being um, um, uh, suppressed and persecuted by others. This is what they were expecting to happen. But Jesus told them, no. He told this parable because they were thinking this way, and he's saying, no. In fact, if you think this is what is going to happen you are going to be, you're gravely mistaken. And in fact, what you're going to do is you're going to reject me and you're going to crucify me, which is what the people ultimately did. And he told this parable to explain the actual timeline of things. He says, here is how things are actually going to happen. Yeah, I'm going to enter into Jerusalem and triumphantly, I'm going to be sitting on a donkey and people are going to be waving palm branches. They're going to be throwing their cloaks on the floor and singing and yelling, Hosanna, pray save us, oh God. They're going to be saying all of those things, but I am coming to triumph on a cross over sin. That's what I'm coming to triumph over. Not over Rome, not over Caesar. That's not a big deal. I'm coming to triumph over the true enemy, sin. That which separates you from God, that which will lead you to being in hell for all eternity apart from God if you do not find some way of being cleansed and forgiven and saved. And I've come to die upon the cross so that you can be forgiven if you would believe in me and put your faith in me. 
And then I'm going to rise from the dead on the third day. The tomb's going to be empty. And then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit down upon my people. And then the church is going to be born. The Spirit-empowered people of God. And then we're going to enter what's called the church age. The time of the people of God, not based upon the Old Testament law, but based upon faith in Christ and his Holy Spirit indwelling within us. We're going to be in this church age. And then in the future, I will return a second time triumphantly, but to judge the earth, to bring history to an end, to reward my servants. And then the kingdom of God will enter into this world truly on earth as it is in heaven, they will blend together. And in this parable, he was explaining to them several things. First, the the nobleman was gone for a long time. He went to a far country, it says, to receive this kingdom. He was gone for a long time. That's what it means. He had to travel all the way to Rome back in the ancient world. It took a long time. Jesus is saying, I'm going back to the Father to receive the kingdom, and I will return to renew the heavens and the earth and to bring heaven to earth. But that's going to be a long time. It's been 2,000 years, friends. It's been a pretty long time. And Jesus could return tomorrow. He could return today. Or it could be another 2,000 years. We don't know. But Jesus told us to to expect this. It's going to be a while. And he said during this church age, he's saying, I've given you minas. I've given you opportunities and stewardship over life and everything that you have to serve me. I've called you to be my servants and you're either going to be faithful in serving me or you're going to end up being a false servant and you're going to look like a Christian. You're going to look like a servant of God, but you're not really one or you're going to be like the citizens that hated him. You're going to be exposed saying, I don't want God to be my Lord and King. I don't want that King. I am my own King. Like like William Ernest Henley said, I'm the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I don't know, I don't need God to be my king. Or like when Elsa sang, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free, let it go, right? No rules. The kid's version of the same thing. I'm in charge. We hate this guy. I am king of my life. Even if we say we don't hate this guy, even if we don't say that, We live that way. Jesus told this parable to give us the proper expectation of what is going to happen. Brothers and sisters, we are living in this church age right now, and we don't know when Christ is going to return. So with that being said, let's look at these three different characters here in in this passage, in this parable that we can all be. So um, looking back over here, When he returned, when this man returned, he called his servants in to give an account of what they've done with the mina, with what they've done with those three months' wages. Now, you know what happens, right? I just read it. The first two, the two who are faithful, one comes in and says, Lord, your one mina has made 10 more. I made a thousand percent return for you. He says, well done, good servant. Another servant comes and says, I took your mina and I made a 500% return with that. And and, and the same thing, and and what what does this nobleman now become king? What does he say? You turned your one mina into 10? You're going to rule over 10 cities. You turned your one mina into five? I'm going to have you rule over five cities. 
Now, what's, what are we supposed to take away from that? What we're supposed to take away from that is just the ridiculousness of this reward. This reward is ridiculous. It is completely disproportionate to what the servants have been able to do. It's generous beyond understanding. It's like, it's like if, if, if I gave you $25,000, I said, go do something with this. And you came back and you said, Ulysses, here's your $25,000. I turned it into $250,000. I said, good job. I'm going to make you the ruler over San Francisco, San Jose, Sacramento, what else? Stockton? <laughs> Fresno? <laughs> San, uh, LA? We're going to go a little farther. LA? 10 cities. You're going to be like, what? That was a good for what I did here? Man, a thousand percent return is pretty amazing, but 10 cities? I'm going to rule over that? The point of this is it's so disproportionate, it is ridiculous. What this points to and what we need to understand is this speaks to how generous this king is. And of course, what this is talking about is how generous our God is to reward those who live for him. Unbelievably, embarrassingly generous to those who choose to serve God in this lifetime. He rewards us so much more than we deserve. And by the way, did I mention that everything we do for him is also through his grace alone? <laughs> so he gives us the power to even be faithful. The reward is so generous. You see, I believe, and for myself included, because we don't understand this or we don't reflect upon it enough, this reward, this is why Christian life feels difficult at times, maybe a lot of the time for some of us. This is why Christian life feels hard because we don't understand the, the reward that we're going to get. Oh, God, read the Bible. It's such a big book. Why did it have to be? Couldn't it be a pamphlet? Gosh, it's so, it's so hard. Oh, sit down and pray. I can't focus. I can't focus. It's so hard. Man, be willing to take up my cross and be persecuted for you and, and live with that type of courage and, 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 and faithfulness in this world. That's so hard. There's so many things. We say Christian life is so hard. But the reason for that is, one of the main reasons for that is we don't understand the reward that God is giving to us for faithfully following him. You see, if we really understood that, we would say, along with Paul, what he said. He would say this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul says if we understood the eternal glory that awaits us, all the pain and the suffering in this world, and he went through a ton of it. If you've read, he was whipped and flogged and beaten and shipwrecked and was hungry and all the things that he experienced, he calls it light and momentary affliction. Like a dream. You just wake up from it. What? It's over? That was it? That was all I suffered for this incredible reward that God has given me? Truly, it was like nothing. 
And Paul was a man who went through incredible suffering for the name of Jesus. But it is light and momentary. It is like Jacob when he served seven years for Rachel. He served his uncle Laban seven years for Rachel. And it says, and to him it seemed but a few days because of the love that he had for her. A few days, seven years. He was serving joyfully. <laughs> seven years, no big deal. It felt like a few days because he was looking forward to the reward of being able to be married to Rachel. It was like that man that Jesus said in the other parable who went and he sold everything that he had, all of it. He sold it all to go buy a dirt field. And people are like, why is this guy selling everything he has for this piece of dirt? Why would he be willing to suffer so much and give up so much for this piece of dirt? But this man is so joyful. He's like, take it all. Let me sell it all so that I can take this money and buy this dirt field because there's treasure in it that nobody knows. And when I buy that field, I'm going to own that treasure that is worth so much more than all of my belongings. It's so worth it. And he sold it joyfully for it. This is what God is saying. The reward is like for those who choose to prioritize God and serve him faithfully in this world. Brothers and sisters, Christian life is definitely hard at times. Absolutely. I'm not trying to minimize that. It is hard at times. But when we compare it to the reward that we will receive, when we put it in perspective, it becomes light and momentary. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell us in this parable. This master, this king is so generous to those who are faithful to him. Now, the second type of person comes along, this third servant. And now, just to look again here at what he did, this guy came in, the third one, and he said, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. What this guy was saying was, was uh, Master, Lord, I, 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 you know, I, I, here, I took your mina and I hid it away because I was just really scared of you. Because, come on, everybody knows you are really severe. In the Greek, the word is austere. You're a really austere person. You're, you're demanding. You're overbearing. You want to get some return out of a place where you didn't even invest. You're so like, like tight-fisted and penny-pinching, and, and there's no way I can live up to your expectations. And I was afraid. I was afraid to fail. You're like Pharaoh who told the Israelites, make more bricks, but I'm not going to give you any straw. That's what you're like. That's what you're like. So I took the mina and I hid it away in a handkerchief so that here I can return to you what was yours. That's what this servant was saying. Brothers and sisters, I, I think this is similar to what I was saying before, earlier. Do we have this perspective sometimes that God, to, to live as a Christian to really live according to your word and do all the things that it says, that's so unrealistic. Who can do that? Who can do that? I mean, forgive my enemies and not just forgive them, but love them too? Who can do that? 
be never ceasing in prayer? That's really unrealistic. Fast? You know how much I love food. The Bible? It's too big. Being persecuted? Come on, that's so hard. Living the Christian life faithfully is really just unrealistic, God. How many of us sometimes think that way? That's what this servant was saying. You're just not, it's not possible to please you, Lord. So I just took what you gave me and I hid it. Here you go. Let me give it back to you. Now, what did the, the Lord, the master, the king, now king in this parable, say back to this person? Now, he, what he does here is he reveals the true intention, what's really going on in this person's heart. How does he do that? He says this. Um, he said, oh, let me go back one here. Am I going the right way? Can you go back two slides? I don't know how to do that. <laughs> Can we go back two? Okay. Uh, what did he say to them? He said, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. So now, it's important to understand that in this parable, this king, I don't think he's saying, you're right about me, that I am a, an austere, unreasonable person. We've already seen that he's not. He's ridiculously generous, right? We've already seen that that's been established. He is a ridiculously generous king. But he says, okay, you want to play that game? Let's, let's go with what you're saying. If I really am that demanding and you were afraid to lose what I gave you, why didn't you take um, what I gave you and put it in the bank? And then when I came back, at least, at least I can get some interest out of this. <laughs> what, what he's saying is, look, if what you're saying is true, why didn't you take my money and put it in a very safe place? Put it in the bank and earn some interest. Now, I know what you're thinking. Interest? What interest? 0.1%? Ain't no interest nowadays. Yeah, I get it. But it hasn't always been that way, okay? But interest rates were higher back in the day, even 10 years ago or a few years ago. Certainly back in these times, you could earn real interest, right? We understand that. If there's, if there's a 5% interest in the bank, you don't leave all your money in checking. You put it in savings. This is a responsible thing to do. And you earn some interest. And up to $250,000 is FDIC insured anyway, right? So it's, it's super safe. It's super safe. That's what the guy is saying. If you really were, if that's really what you cared about, why didn't you at least put it in the bank? Now, this is a rhetorical question, basically, because this servant had nothing to say. He had nothing to say. So, what's going on here? Why, what was the real motivation for this servant not doing anything with this money? It's not so much that he was so afraid of the master. What is it? Why? Now, all it says here in Luke is that the, the Lord says, calls him wicked. Now, I think there is a really big hint from the book of Matthew when Jesus tells a different parable, the parable of the talents. Now, you may be more familiar with the parable of the talents than you are with the parable of the minas. They're very similar, but they're different parables. Now, some people are like, oh, it was one parable and they kind of recorded it differently. I think it was different parables. Think about this. Jesus was ministering for three and a half years. He told the same story over and over again. 
he told it in different ways to make different points, right? It's, 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 he told stories over and over again. But when we look at Matthew's parable here, in here of the parable of the talents, look at what it says. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And when I came, I, I could get interest, right? So the same thing, it's the same thing. But what hint do we get here? What more do we see from Matthew? Here, in Matthew, Jesus says, the Lord, the king called him, you wicked and slothful servant. Slothful. And I think that's a hint for us. And I think that's what's playing out here as well. Why didn't he even go to the bank then? Easy peasy. At least earn something if you're afraid to lose it. But he couldn't get himself to even take the money to the bank. He was slothful. What's, what's the point here? That word slothful in the Greek is the, work, is the word akneros, akneros. That's the word there, slothful, akneros. What it means, it has kind of a manifold meaning. What it means is slothful, hesitating, negligent, and according to the Strong's Concordance, it thus denotes one who for various reasons or difficulties does not have the resolution to act. So what it comes down to here, friends, the bottom line is this guy couldn't get himself to actually go and do it and even take the money to the bank. Not because he was scared of the master, but because he, he was lazy, because he was passive with what he was given because he didn't care enough about the master's affairs or the master's business or the master's kingdom to bother himself to do that. Brothers and sisters, um, if, I think this relates to a lot of us maybe. Maybe you can connect with this. I think sometimes we look and we may say, Oh, Christian life, man, it's so hard. There's so much to do. I, I don't think I can do it. Read the Bible and, and share the gospel and be this super Christian and, and, and take up my cross and, and, and have no other gods before him and, and see all of that, all that I have belongs to him and live as a saint. It's just, it just seems so unrealistic and so difficult. But what is the reality? The reality oftentimes is that we simply are slothful, we're lazy, we're passive, and we're not willing to put the Lord's kingdom and his interests ahead of our own. It really feels a lot like how procrastination works, right? You know, when you think about procrastination, oh, that project is too big. That paper is too long to write. That work that I have to do at work, it's too much. It's so hard. So what do we do? We procrastinate. We do everything else under the sun that we can do before we start doing that work. We, we clean every corner of your house, right? You put your books in order, right? You, you take care of every errand that you can do as long as you don't have to do, do that work. Is it because it's so big and so difficult to do? It's actually because we just don't want to get started. We don't want to put our head down and begin to really do that work. That's what's happening here with this servant. But brothers and sisters, the thing is, 
we have all, every person has been entrusted with much from God. We are stewards. Every single one of us is a steward that God has entrusted with incredible things for the sake of the kingdom of God. Every single one of us has been entrusted with so much. From the moment that we are born, we've been trusted with time and opportunity and life, and we've been given so much that we are called to steward in behalf of God and for his kingdom. You know, I think some of us, we don't realize that. And because we don't realize that, we become passive with what we've been given. We think, well, I'm not like some super Christian that I've been stewarded with so much. I'm just regular Joe Schmo. It's like that, uh, you know, in Spider-Man, yeah, we think about it like Spider-Man, right? Peter Parker gets bit by a spider. He becomes Spider-Man. What does Uncle Ben say to him? With great power comes great responsibility. And then Peter Parker is like, I don't want that responsibility. Don't put that on me. He's walking around one day and he sees this crook run out of a, a, like a convenience store, does a robbery or something. And he's like, he's got the power to stop him. But he's like, not my problem. The crook runs past him. And then what happens? Later on, he gets a call. Your Uncle Ben, he's been shot. And he, he runs over to his house and his Uncle Ben was killed. He, he died. And he finds out it was by the same crook that he could have stopped. And then Peter Parker realizes at that moment, with great power comes great responsibility. But our problem is we think, well, I'm not Spider-Man. I don't have great powers. I'm just a regular person. I don't have this great responsibility. But you do. Brothers and sisters, you do. Every one of us has been entrusted with so much every moment of our life, every resource that we have, all of ourselves has been entrusted to us to be able to bring glory to the kingdom of God. The pastor, John Ryle, many years ago, he said, anything whereby we may glorify God is a talent. He was referring to the other parable, but it applies here. Our gifts, our influence, our money, our knowledge, our health, our strength, our time, our senses, our reason, our intellect, our memory, our affections, our privileges as members of Christ's church, our advantages as possessors of the Bible, all, all our talents. Brothers and sisters, we have been entrusted with so much and every single one of us has the power to decide to make decisions about how we are going to steward all that we have. Every moment, every second, every penny, every relationship, every decision, you have power to decide how you are going to steward that. We have been entrusted with so much, brothers and sisters. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. Maybe it is time to take a life inventory, to examine your life, and to ask yourself, to ask yourself some hard questions, am I being a faithful steward of all that God has blessed me with? Maybe you need to take a time inventory and to take a look at how you are spending your time, your short, short life that you have. Even tomorrow is not guaranteed to us. Are you using your time in a way that furthers the kingdom of God? Do you really have no time to serve God? Do you really have no time to read the Bible or pray? 
Or are we taking too much time in doing other things? We have no time to serve the Lord, but we have so much time to play video games. We have no time to pray or read the word of God, but we have so much time for social media. Maybe it's time to take an inventory of these things. And I'm not saying you can't relax and have fun. We all need that. But maybe if we really examined things, we'd realize that we're spending a bit too much time on other things. Maybe we should take inventory of our finances and really take a look. And if you do, and if you budget, and you take an inventory of where you spend the money that God has given you, maybe you'd realize, my gosh, I spend so much on myself and so little on the kingdom of God, so little being generous to other people, so little caring for those in need. And I haven't been faithful with what he had stewarded us with. Lately, Christine and I have been talking and, and just struggling with the idea of, like, have we been faithful stewards of our children? Because they're not our children. They're God's children that he's given to us for a period of time that we can build into them and disciple them and raise them up in God so that they could live their lives for the glory of God. And are we being faithful with these 18 years that we have that are going to pass by in a moment, faithfully doing all that we can so that they love Jesus and give their all for the kingdom of God. And lately, I've been struggling with that, and I feel like I haven't been faithful with that, and I need to, to be a better steward of that. Are you being a faithful steward of all the gifts, the spiritual gifts, and the talents and the experiences that God has given you? Are you using them for the kingdom of God, or are you burying them? Are you, are you putting them in a handkerchief? Because you're, maybe you're afraid to fail because, or because you're, you're burying them and you're not using them. I think some of us, we may say, oh, God, I'm not ready. I'm not able to do all those things for you. God, I, I, who am I? I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. I haven't gone to seminary. I'm not that equipped. Brothers and sisters, you are stewarding most of us. Many of us, I know, many of you have grown up in the church. Many of you have been in the church for a while. You're stewarding so much knowledge and experience in the kingdom of God. You have gone to so many retreats. You have read so much Bible. You have heard so many sermons. I don't know how many workshops you've gone to, trainings you've gone to. You know that, that, that cardboard box at home that you have with all the retreat pamphlets and workshop pamphlets and booklets? You know what I'm talking about? That you took all these notes about how to evangelize, how to learn theology, how to do discipleship, how to, how to help other people, all those things. I like what Pastor Keith from Church of Southland, he, he always says, most Christians, we are educated beyond our intelligence. We have so much already that we're stewarding, and we say, God, I don't have anything to work with. I can't do anything for you. It's too hard. Brothers and sisters, it's not that hard. It's not that hard to disciple somebody. Call somebody up, have coffee. Somebody who who may be struggling, who may be a little younger in the faith than you, and say, hey, can we read the Bible together? Can we talk? Can we pray together? It's not that hard. Asking somebody, what prayer request do you have? And praying for them. It's not that hard. Even if you became a Christian yesterday, you can share the gospel. You can sit down with somebody and tell them your story. You are stewarding so much it reminds me of Saving Private Ryan. Do you remember that scene, that final battle at the end? And there's that guy, skinny guy, Oppum, and he was scared to fight, 
but he had all the ammunition over his shoulders. He had all the bullets and everything. Everybody else is out there fighting, running out of ammunition, and he's scared to fight. He's got a machine gun. He's got ammunition all over him, but he's afraid to fight. But he is overpowered. He's got all the weapons. We are stewarding so much, brothers and sisters. And, 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 and we can just, just start. Even just put it in the bank for interest. Take a small step. Brothers and sisters, I want to say to you, if, if, you, if God is speaking to you through this, and maybe this is going to be a step towards revival for some of you, as you examine your heart in this way and as you begin to steward faithfully all that God has given you, if, if you are there, you're like, I want to take the next step. I don't know what to do. I will meet with you. I will do a one-on-one -on -one with you and help you in whatever way I can. I don't care if it's 150 of you. We will arrange a one-on-one -on -one and we'll talk through these things to see how you can steward and take the next steps in your relationship with God. I, it would be my joy to do that with you because you are gifted, because you have been blessed with much, and you are a steward that God is calling to be faithful. Brothers and sisters, the third person reminds us, the third group, this, this person, second person and the third person reminds us of how serious this is. When Jesus said, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Brothers and sisters, it's, if you think you're a servant, but you're like this third servant. Be careful how you stand, lest you fall. You know what? We're like that third servant. You know what it's like when we, when we think we've received from God something, Amina? You know, oh, I got saved. Hallelujah. I believed in Jesus. I'm a Christian. Oh, let me take that Amina and put it in a handkerchief and then just live my life. And then when Jesus returns on that final day and I stand before God, I'm going to take that Mina back out and say, oh, here it is, God. Here it is. I got saved many years ago. Here's what belongs to you. And Jesus said, what did you do with everything else in the rest of your life? And we say, nothing. It was too hard. I didn't think I could do it. I was too busy. And Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you. Because the true servant of God produces 30, 60, 100-fold. Because... The good, fruit, the good tree bears good fruit. This is not works righteousness, brothers and sisters. This is not something we earn. But the fruit, the minas being replicated, it is proof that the Holy Spirit is truly living within us. As Paul said, let us work, let us make sure, make our calling and election sure. Let us take inventory of our hearts and of our lives. And thirdly, those foes, those who did not recognize God, but instead wanted to be their own kings, will experience eternal judgment and separation from God. Brothers and sisters, today, this is the question from this parable. I invite the worship team up at this time. Which will you be? Which are you? The faithful servant? The false servant? or a foe, an enemy of God.
I believe that God is inviting you to experience revival in your lives this morning. If we would come and we would bring our heart before God and take inventory and say, Lord, help me. I want to steward all that you've blessed me with well. Let us look upon this reward, brothers and sisters. God longs to reward us with so much more than we could ever imagine. That which will make us say, wow, it was beyond worth it. God is so generous to me. Let's stand and let's worship this morning. God, we just come before you, Lord, and um, we want to take this warning to heart. We also want to take this motivation and this reward to heart. And God, we want to be reminded that you've entrusted us. You've taken the step to entrust so much into our hands, your kingdom, the glory of God, the great commission. You've put it in our hands. You've given us this opportunity in our lives to serve you. Oh Lord, may we be found faithful. God, I pray, help us this morning, Lord God. Would you help us, Lord, to take a, a spotlight, a searchlight to our hearts? Maybe it's with our time that we need to take inventory of. Maybe it's with our, our, our financial resources. Maybe it's with the direction of our lives. Maybe it's with our relationships. Maybe it's with how we're raising our kids. God, help us to take a searchlight to our hearts that we may become faithful, faithful servants that we may hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the reward of your Father. Oh, Lord, we pray as we enter into this Passion Week towards Good Friday and Easter, may it not just be a holiday, but may it be a reminder to us that you are coming back. Our King is coming back, and we want to be a church, a bride without spot or wrinkle, eagerly waiting for you saying, look, Lord, look at what I've done. Look at how I've spent my life for your glory, God. May each of us here, well done. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's continue to be in prayer. Let's bring our hearts before God. Let's enter into worship as well.